Good morning. Congregation is so good at saying good morning. Just it, it's so encouraging. It is good to be here this morning and to see all of you. I'm sure that the food didn't attract any of you today, but it, it's it's great to see uh, so many smiling faces out there. Uh, and please do stay for the fellowship meal, guys. I don't want to panic you, but it's almost Valentine's Day. I don't know if you. I, I just want to alert you to that fact and. And give you just a little bit of time if you haven't gotten you know your Valentine or anything. You got one day left, so you haven't quite missed it just yet. <clears throat> uh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. So, <laughs> uh, also, I've been known to have quite a few points in my sermon. I had 27 points in, in one of my last sermons, uh, and I, I thought that would be pretty unpopular on the fellowship meal day. And so, I have one point in my sermon today. <laughs> One. So the countdown is not that great on this one. You just go from one to zero and we're, we're good. But uh, I want to talk today about us seeing the Bible alike. And I want to, oh, I also want to mention that we have several visitors today, so do welcome all of them, and uh, particularly Miss Shirley and Mr. Larry over here. I used to work with Miss Shirley at House to House many years ago when I looked much younger, and she looked exactly like she looks now. So she hasn't aged a single... And Larry, you haven't aged either. How do you guys do that? you got to share your secrets later. I want to talk about we can all see the Bible alike. And there's really just one point today, and that point is this. There is no division to speak of in the religious world over what the Bible says. Uh, I want you to think about the issues that we're, we're going to talk about today in the following kind of light. Look at Exodus 3, verses 1 through 4. Now, I just want to make this point a couple of times here. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. That's pretty simple statements, right? So we ask a few questions. Did the angel of the Lord appear to Moses? Well, yes, he did. It says he did. Did God speak to Moses? Yes. Did he do that from a burning bush? Yes. Okay. What kind of bush was it? Well, I don't know. I mean, somebody might say it's a rose bush. Somebody else would say, no, no, it's a bramble bush. They're common to that area. I don't know what kind of bush it was. And I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, right? That's pretty simple to see. Let's look at John 8, verses 1 through 6. And John 8, 1 through 6 says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. 
So did, did they bring a woman to him who was caught in adultery? Yes. yes. Right? All right. Did they... Who brought her? Well, it says the, the scribes and the Pharisees brought her. And she was caught in the very act, right? Okay. Did Jesus write on the ground? Yes. What did he write? Now, I've heard people talk about this. I've heard people <laughs> preach sermons on this. and They say their opinions on it, right? They will say... Well, I think he wrote the names of the accusers and their sins, and they're embarrassed, and so they're going to turn away. I've heard somebody say uh, it was part of the old law that the names of the accused and the law that was broken would be written down. And so Jesus stooped down and he wrote the man's name and the woman's name along with the law that had been broken, and showing that he knew who the man was. They didn't bring the man, right? They just brought the woman. Uh, and so that that's what he was doing. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us, right? Or 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Second Corinthians 12 and verse 7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Did Paul have a thorn in the flesh? Yes. Why did he have it? So that he might not be exalted above measure. Okay, but what was the thorn in the flesh? Now, I have heard a bunch of people tell me what they think the thorn in the flesh was. I have my opinion. I think it was his eyesight. Uh, I think there's indication of that, but there's no absolute certainty of it. Some people say he had a speech impediment. I heard one guy tell me he had gout. He thought he had gout. Maybe so. I don't know. And I don't know because the Bible doesn't say, right? So I contend that it's true in these cases, and it's even more so on points of doctrine, that the, the contention, the division in the religious world is brought about not by what the Bible says, but what the Bible doesn't say, and what people add to and take away from the Bible, when we add to and we take away from scriptures, we are adding and taking away from God's word. We are not giving the proper respect to it. We look at Matthew twenty four thirty five. It says that heavens and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The words of God, the words of Jesus, the Bible, that's going to last through eternity. It's going to last through the destruction of the world, and God has protected it. Uh, I teach a class on how we got the Bible, and I love to look at how God has protected his word through the ages so that it has come down to us, and he will protect it from even the destruction of the world. His words will not pass away. First John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, right? whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. All right, we're to test false doctrines, false spirits, right? How do you test them? Well, you test them against the word of God. It must be possible then to determine what the word of God says and to not have disagreement about what it's teaching. It must be possible to understand it. We can all see, we can all understand the Bible alike. It's possible to have unity. 
2 Timothy 2.15 says, To study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? That indicates that there must be, well, there's certainly a right way to do it. There must also be wrong ways to study the scripture and to divide the word, right? It gives us not only the commandment to study the word, but suggests there's a way to rightly divide it so that we can understand it, and there's a wrong way to do it. When Jesus was teaching in Mark 7 and verse 14, he said, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. Would God command us to study something that we can't understand, that it's not possible to understand. He said, I just want you to learn this stuff, but you're not really going to understand it, but I want you to read it and, and put it, write it in your heart, but you don't understand it. Well, no, that's silly. He would not do that, right? He would not command us to do something. Jesus here says, he tells us if we'll hearken to, hearken to him, we can understand it, right? Would Jesus say it if it was not so? No. So let's look at some of these uh, doctrinal areas. First of all, let's start with the one that seems to pose the most confusion in the religious world. Let's start with the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation was authored by God before the foundation of the world. He knew that by giving us choice that we would sometimes choose wrong. Sometimes we are going to sin. And when we do that, it separates us from God. So knowing that, He put a plan in place. He authored a plan before the foundation of the world. This is such a beautiful thing. And it is a complicated thing. You look at 2 Samuel 14.14. It talks about the idea of we are like water that spilled out on the ground that cannot be gathered up again. You think about that. If you are thirsty and you spill water on the mud... How are you going to get that water back? Well, I mean, you could pick up the mud and you could squeeze it out. Do you want to drink it then? No. It's nasty, dirty water, right? That's how sin is in our life, right? We can't be presented to God that way. We wouldn't, you know, if if you go to the restaurant and they present you with some muddy water, you're going to send it back, right? Well, you can't be presented to God like that. And so he devised a way to bring his banished back to him. That's what 2 Samuel 4, I love that verse, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, 2 Samuel 14, 14. So what if I got up here one day, today let's say, and I preached to you that all you have to do to be saved, all you need to do is believe and have faith. And then next week I said, well, actually... I've done some studying, and you are either born elect or you are not. There's nothing you can do about it. You're either saved or not. Uh, And if you are not one of the elect, I'm sorry, you just don't have a heavenly hope. Or the next week, I got up here and I said, if you let me get up here another week after this, right? I said, uh, all you have to do is you have to say this prayer. And you have to let Jesus come into your heart. Now, I wrote this prayer. You won't find the prayer in the Bible. And, and you won't find that phrase, let Jesus come into your heart, in the Bible. But that, 
That's all you have to do to be saved. And then nothing you ever do can make you be lost again. And then the next week, I say, actually, when you were a baby and you were, you were, weren't you consecrated? Weren't you uh, sprinkled, baptized as a baby? Uh, and, and you were uh, consecrated, you were uh, approved by your parents, and then when you're 12, you're going you're gonna, to, at that time, you're going to accept it at your uh, consecration. It says, you would say, you're crazy, you are inconsistent, you are not doing what the Bible teaches. None of these concepts can be found in the Bible. And yet, these are various different ways that the denominational world says that we are saved. And the funny thing about it, even though they are so different, almost all of them accept all the others. They're all tolerant of the tolerant. The only one they are not tolerant of is the intolerant, us. Anyone who says, no, no, the Bible says to do it this way, and therefore that's the way you have to do it, and you can't accept these other ways because that's not the way the Bible said. That's intolerant. And we're not going to tolerate that, right? Uh, That's the way of the world. The Bible is not inconsistent. These other methods that I've named have no root in Scripture. Mark 16, 16 because you have to believe and be baptized, right? 1 Peter 3, 21 says, baptism does now save us, right? Romans 6, 1 through 4 talks about baptism being taking part, coming in contact with the blood of Christ, taking part in his death, burial, and resurrection, becoming a new creature, right? The Bible is not confusing on this matter. The Bible very plainly states why we need to be baptized and lays it out, right? It's also consistent in telling us that we have to continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, or we can fall away. In fact, most of the New Testament is encouraging Christians to remain Christians and and keep the faith, because you can certainly lose it, right? Luke 6.47, Jesus says, Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them. The Bible is not inconsistent. Okay, well then they'll say, okay, I get that that baptism is essential to salvation. Uh, And it is by grace, through obedient faith, that we are saved. I get that. But what about the mode of baptism? Some will say you have to be immersed. Some will say it's okay to be sprinkled. Some will say that being, you know, pouring is okay. And some will say that it's not even a water baptism at all. It's a Holy Spirit baptism Or even uh, some people, although they are sadly mistaken and they don't want this baptism, uh, we'll talk about baptism by fire, right? You don't want to be baptized by fire, let me tell you. Uh, That is being cast into hell. But someone will say, well, Webster's defines baptism as immersion or pouring or sprinkling. Uh, That's true. Webster's Dictionary does define it that way. And the Webster's Dictionary wasn't written by God, right? It's not an authority for what baptism actually means in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's always immersion. And the history of the word itself in the Greek goes back to the, the dye industry where they are immersing cloth into a color and turning it that color, turning it red or purple. They are baptizing it in that color. 
That's the origin of that word. The idea is you are completely immersed and you take on the characteristic of that water or of that color, right? You know, uh, this is the dad joke, just so you're paying attention here. Uh, somebody asked me, you know, why is an aspirin small, white, and round? And, it, and they said, because if it's large, gray, and wrinkled, it would be an elephant, right? So, yeah, I told you, it's not a funny joke, it's a dad joke. Uh, all right. But, <laughs> oh, Katie says boo. All right. Uh, <clears throat> but you can't take something and call it something else. Okay, when you're sprinkling or pouring, that is not baptizing. In John 3.23 uh, let's just read it. What's John 3.23 say? Well, if I can get turned over there real quick. It says that John was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Why did he go to that place in the river? Well, he went there because there was much water, Right? So baptism requires much water. We look at uh, Acts 8, 36-39, Philip and the eunuch. They went down into the water and came up out of the water. Does that sound like sprinkling or pouring? No, it sounds like they were immersing him in the water, right? And that's what baptism means. So there's no debate about what the Bible says there. That is what it's teaching The debate is when we add or take away from it. What about the name of the church? Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Whose church? Jesus' church, right? The church of Jesus the Christ. It's his church. It belongs to him. It's named the church of Christ. That's how it's referred to in Romans 16, 16. The churches of Christ salute you, right? There weren't... There wasn't any division or or discussion about this in Acts chapter 2, right? Everybody knew which church they were being baptized into and which church the Lord was adding them to. It was just the one church. Division only came later. Acts 11.26, what are we to be called? Christians. Acts 4.12, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved, right? And yet people named their churches all kinds of things. There there are a few different ways the church is referred to in the Bible. It's referred to as the church of Christ. It's referred to as the church of God. It's referred to as just the church. They're referred to as Christians. It's most often referred to as the way. All All of those would be acceptable ways to refer to the church. They all mean the same thing. Why then do we have Seventh-day Adventist, Mormon, Baptist, Lutheran, Named after aspects of Scripture, Baptist, baptism, right? Or Lutheran after Martin Luther. Why? These are not scriptural names, right? Or what about music and worship? We talked about this a little bit this morning in Bible class, right? It was kind of the main focus. And that's because so oftentimes, this is where people get hung up at a Bible study, is, is they have grown up with instrumental music, they like instrumental music. Uh, and so they just don't understand why we don't use instruments when we sing. And we won't go over every verse, but looking at Ephesians 5.19, right, speaking to yourselves and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. All right, The only instrument is the heart. 
That's the only strings that are to be plucked, are the strings of the heart. There are about eight other relevant passages, and we won't, as I said, go over all of them, but all of them say, sing. You will never find where you are told to play any instrument beside, besides the heart in the New Testament. You say, I know some very sincere people who play guitar or piano in church. I do too. I know some very nice people who are very sincere and play piano at their church. But they're sincerely wrong because the Bible teaches it and it's plain. It comes down to this. We can either be governed by what the Lord says or you can do whatever you want to do, right? It's one of those two things, right? If it's, if it's about personal preference, then I can do whatever I want to do. And I think God's okay with it, right? Or you can do what God says in the Bible. There's not any real division over this point. Uh, there is sometimes some misunderstanding, going back to the Old Testament and looking at how they used instruments in worship in the Old Testament as commanded by God. But there's no division about that in the New Testament. It was clearly directed by God. Or how about this? You can make the same case about the Lord's Supper. You can say, I don't really like grape juice and crackers. You can say that. You can say, I don't like it. I would prefer to have sweet tea and maybe some, uh, some bagels or something with you know, some butter and jam. And I like that a lot better, right? It's the same thing. That would be silly. Nobody would, would say that we should do that, but that's exactly what they're doing when it comes to instrumental music. God didn't say not to do it, right? And so therefore they say, well, it must be okay. I can't believe he would send me to hell because I don't want to drink grape juice and eat a cracker. Right? But they say the same thing about Israel. I can't believe God would send me to hell over, over worshiping with instrumental music. Can we all see that we need a license plate on our car? Well, why is that? Well, because there's a law about it, right? The law declares that we have to have a license plate. If you don't, you're going to be pulled over, right? Or take the case of a man who gets caught by the officer running a stop sign. And he comes before the judge with the following excuses. He has run a stop sign, and he's going to go before the judge, and he says, my father never, ever stopped at stop signs. So it would condemn my father if I stopped at stop signs now. Right, or I believe the word "stop" is open to private interpretation. I don't. I don't think it really means stop when it says stop. Or my preacher told me that I don't always have to stop if I don't want to. Right? Or I'm not ready to stop right now. I'll stop when I get older. Right? Or my parents made me stop when I was young. I don't want to stop now. Right? Or how do we know what stop really means? What did it mean when it was originally written? Maybe it meant something else, right? Or I believe the main thing that we need to concentrate here, Judge, is going, not stopping. We need to concentrate on the going part, right? Or what about those that didn't see the sign? They didn't see the sign. I didn't see it. Okay, you still ran a stop sign, right? What would the judge say in all of those cases? He would say, guilty, pay the fine, right? Right? But that's the same excuses they give 
for not obeying God. Now, the various denominations set up creeds and creed books and, and all kinds of orders of worship, and I really just have two problems with that. If they're shorter than the Bible, then they don't say enough, and if they're longer than the Bible, they say too much, right? You don't need any of that except the Bible. So why don't people study the Bible? Matthew 4.4 4 says that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There's more to life than eating and sleeping, right? Well, some people are indifferent. Matthew 13.15, Jesus said that their hearts are waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes are closed. Uh, that sums it up pretty well. That sums up our world pretty well. People don't want to hear it. Others are only slightly concerned. I'm sure you've, you've seen this. I, I deal with it all the time. There are people who are pseudo-spiritual. You know, I'm going to post Psalm 23 to Facebook, or I'm going to send an email out about something that, that is spiritual, but I'm not really spiritual. I'm not really taking it seriously. They don't want to be with God's people all that much. They don't want to do what God teaches. They just want to have this feeling that they're, they're spiritual, right? Or some are afraid of their spiritual condition. Uh, it is scary to read the Bible and, and realize that you're not always in compliance with what God teaches, that we are either not doing things we should do or we are doing things that we should not do. Looking at the Bible is, is like looking in a mirror, right? And we find things that we have to work on, right? Proverbs 5.12 says that there are those that hate discipline and, and their hearts despise reproof. There are people who just want to be told good things all the time. And it's pleasant to hear good things. Sometimes I like to, to teach good things, right? Pleasant things about heaven. But I want you to get to heaven. I want people to get there, right? And sometimes we have, to, we have to look at those unpleasant things. And some feel that they just can't understand it. You know, the devil's preachers preach that. They say, really, you can't understand the Bible. You need to look at me, and I'll tell you what it means, right? That's not the case at all. If you're looking at me to tell you what it means, you need to study to show yourself approved. And if I teach something wrong, you need to come and tell me, and I need to correct it, right? Joshua 1.8 it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. This principle applies in the New Testament as well. We need to study to show yourselves approved. First Thessalonians 5.27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How can these things dwell in our hearts if we're not studying the Word of God? So that's, that's the main point for today, is that when we add to or take away from God's Word, that's when we have religious division. When we don't want to study it and we want to look to somebody else for our authority, that's what creates religious division. But really, the Bible is pretty plain on points of doctrine and on the way the church needs to be set up and the way the church needs to worship. If today, for any reason, 
you are not in the church. You are not baptized into Christ. You have not followed what the Bible teaches. We would encourage you to study and to do those things that you need to do. We would be happy to study with you. If you have been baptized, you are in the blood of Christ, but you have fallen away. You have chosen to follow sin instead of follow the way of light. We would encourage you to confess that, repent of it. That means turn, change your mind, change your heart, turn away from it. And let's, let's walk in the light again. We will help you. We will pray with you and for you for the forgiveness of those sins. And we will help you. We will be here to be with you. We love you. This is a loving congregation. I've been thankful to be a part of it these past few weeks. And, and I can assure you, nobody is going to shun you. We are going to be there with you to help you. If either of those is the case for you this morning, come as we stand and as we sing.